We'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon Him, because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we again are just grateful for all that you are to us and for all that you reveal in your word for us to know about you and, and, and to walk with you. And we do, God, just pray that your spirit would give us understanding and insight and apply to our hearts, God, what you want to say to us for your namesake and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, we've, um, we're coming near to the end now in 1 Peter, and a few weeks ago, it's already been Easter and Palm Sunday where we shared testimonies, so it's been a little bit since I was last in 1 Peter with you. But the last time we were, we were looking at the first part of chapter 5 in 1 Peter, where he was talking to elders and to young men about their relationship to the church and their relationship to each other. And the last thing that he had to say in that respect was where he said in verse 5, You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. One of the major themes of this letter is the grace that God wants to give. And when you're going through times of deep trial and persecution, you need God's grace. And so he's saying God gives grace. To the humble. You need grace. Humble yourselves. And if you don't, well then God is opposed to the proud. And who wants to make God his enemy? You don't want to be, have God as your opponent. And you draw a bullseye on your chest and say, shoot me, when you exalt yourself rather than humble yourself. So verse 6 begins with the same topic of humility. Now I have to tell you, you know, I don't think I thought a lot about pride or humility as a child growing up, even as maybe a young man. But as I've gotten older, I think on these things a lot. And it's not a pleasant thing to think about. It's kind of painful. It's uncomfortable. It's like when I, well, last time I saw my doctor, he wanted to talk to me about a colonoscopy. And I said, um, you're about to ruin a good friendship. And... Um, <laughs> And I have not been back to him since. It's an uncomfortable conversation to have. Well, humility is a lot like that. It's like having a colonoscopy, even though I've never had one, that it, 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 you're, you're going in places that you don't want to go. And talking about things that you really would rather not talk about. I mean, and, and it's amazing when God you know, goes into our hearts and starts exposing pride and showing us how much pride is in us. It is a painful process to go through. I don't like it. 
And, and, but to the, to the measure that we um, are, are serious about being Christ-like, we will also be serious about humility. Um, whenever I'm thinking on this and I need to have bigger thoughts than, than what I'm capable of, um, I pull out Andrew Murray's little book on humility. It's a classic. And it's one of those books that's hard to read. I just want to read you a few of the things here that he has to say about humility. And you kind of get the idea of what it is and what it is not. Just in these first things, first six statements here are just in the first chapter. I'm telling you, it's, it blows you away. Humility, the, the place of entire dependence on God, is from the very nature of things the first duty and the highest virtue of the creature and the root of every other virtue. He'll go on to say, just as pride is the root of all vice, humility is the root of all virtue. The relation of the creature to God could only be one of unceasing, absolute, universal dependence. So recognizing your need, living in dependence, is the place of humility. As truly as God by His power once created, so truly by that same power must God every moment maintain. We are creatures and he wants to, we want to live by the maintaining power of God. Jesus came to bring humility back to earth, to make us partakers of it and by it to save us. His humility is our salvation. Humility is the sense of entire nothingness which comes when we see how truly God is all and in which we make way for God to be all. So it's just seeing God is everything and we are nothing. Humility is simply the creature acknowledging the truth of his position as creature and yielding to God his place. That's just the first chapter. It's a little book and it's packed. Andrew Murray goes on to say, Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature. Jesus was incarnate humility. He says, all lack of love, all indifference to the needs, the feelings, the weaknesses of others, all sharp and hasty judgments and utterances, so often excused under the plea of being outright and honest, all manifestations of temper and touchiness and irritation, all feelings of bitterness and estrangement have their root and nothing but pride. The grace of humility is nothing but that simple consent of the creature to let God be all, in virtue of which it surrenders itself to His working alone. Jesus took the place of entire subordination and gave God the glory and the honor which is due to Him. He humbled Himself, and God highly exalted him. He lost nothing by giving all to God. This is the true self-denial to which our Savior calls us. The acknowledgement that self has nothing good in it, except as an empty vessel which God must fill. And that its claim to be or do anything must not for a moment be allowed. The creature must see that he is nothing but a vessel, a channel, through which the living God can manifest the riches of his wisdom, power, and goodness. 
It's being an empty vessel. It's recognizing that we are nothing but a vessel, a channel for God to manifest the riches of his wisdom, power, and goodness. This box is a vessel. And that's a pretty box. It's got some kind of flower on that. I don't, what are those? Lilacs or something? Lavender? Okay. See, I wouldn't even know. They're purple. Purple flowers. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell. I'm a botanist. That's a pretty box. Nice vessel. We would like to think of ourselves being beautiful, empty vessels for God's use. This is another vessel. He's... It's a used, spent tube of toothpaste. Now, I would look at this and say, this is empty. My dear Mennonite wife looks at that and says, there's a week's worth of toothpaste still left in that thing. You know, and I've learned over the years how much it blesses Patsy to wrestle with it. So when we get down to the last part, I don't think she knows this, but when we get down to the last part, I just kind of just leave it there. And I start using another tube of toothpaste, and it just, it, just, it just sets her day right in the morning to just wrestle that thing and get, and she'll tell me, I'm still getting toothpaste out of that. I'm still getting toothpaste out of that. And I, and I go, bless your heart, sweetheart. You know, it's just, you know, so if you ever you know, are about to throw away a tube of toothpaste, just give it to Patsy. It'll just bless her, I'm telling you. When God's talking about empty vessels, this is what he has in mind. And we don't like it. It is so unattractive to us. I mean, who wants to be this? You know, we, we like the this. That's so nice. But God says, this is the beauty he's looking for. Totally empty. And when we think we're empty, God does a little more squeezing. <laughs> and he says, there's still a lot more of you in you. And I want to get all of you out. So there's nothing that comes out but Jesus. It's just an empty vessel. And the amazing thing, you know, and, and, and so I don't believe that we ever get rid of self. I don't think that when we, when we are saved, self goes away. I don't think it's eradicated. I think we have self, whatever you want to call it, sin nature, flesh, whatever you call it, we've got it till the day we die. But Jesus didn't. He didn't have a sin nature. And still, he is our example. Because with no sin in him, he humbled himself. So if I say to you, or you say to me, humble yourself. So I just, you know, I walk up to you and say, hey, I just want to let you know, you need to humble yourself. And you go, well, blessings on you too, brother. You need to humble yourself. And poke you back in the eye. Jesus didn't take offense. I mean, here he is, the perfect God. And he humbled himself. He emptied himself. That's what it says in Philippians 2. He uses those words. He emptied himself. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. And it had nothing to do with sin. So if the sinless one recognized that he needed to humble himself and empty himself, 
Why do we take offense when somebody points out, typically it's just God points out to us, you need to humble yourself. You need to empty yourself. It is the way of life. So when I believe that as, as, as Murray is saying, Jesus has always been humble. He didn't become humble when he became a man. Humility is a virtue and God is the source of all virtue. But when he became a man, he began living as a creature because his humanity was created of God. His deity was not created. But as a man, he began living as God intended for a man to live, and that is independence. And so it seems his entire earthly existence was sourced in the Father. So he said, I do nothing of my own initiative. Everything I see, everything I say is what I'm doing and saying. I've seen it, I've heard it, and so that's what I'm doing. And so he lived an empty, dependent life. And when we look at Jesus, we see humility on display. He came to bring humility back into the world. When Adam and Eve took of that fruit, they acted in independence, not dependence. They acted in pride, not humility. And so Jesus, the second Adam, comes. And he comes in humility. Humbled himself, emptied himself, and lived as God has intended for every creature to live, independence. And we hate it. We get older, we get more frail, and dependence is forced on us. But it shouldn't have to be that way. It should be the willing choice, the loving choice of every creature to recognize his need, his dependence, and to wake up in the morning before you even put your feet on the floor and say, God, I am your empty vessel. I cannot live this life, and I do not want to live this life in my own strength. Fill me, O oh God, with yourself, that what would come out of me would be Jesus. O oh God, don't let me be seen today. I'm going to be pricked. I'm going to be poked. And I know, God, my propensity is to respond with irritability. And irritability is pride. Lord Jesus be seen in my life today. And we hand ourselves over to him as an empty vessel. Murray went on to say, he that humbles himself, that must be our one care, will be exalted. That is God's care. You never have to worry about being noticed, appreciated, respected, or elevated. Our one care is to humble ourselves. God's care is to exalt the humble. He'll do it. He will. In his own good time, Peter's saying here, in good time, he is going to do what he's promised to do. He will do it by his mighty power and in his great love. In the last statement I'll read, it is only by the indwelling of Christ in his divine humility that we become truly humble. It is only by the indwelling of Christ, by the indwelling life of Christ in his divine humility that we become truly humble. It's his work. You're ready for me to go on to another topic. There's actually three topics in this paragraph, and I appreciate uh, Warren Wiersbe on this. He's excellent with just kind of giving little short outlines. And he said, this paragraph begins with humble yourself, and then it moves to um, be watchful, 
And then finally, be hopeful. So being humble, be watchful, be hopeful is the outline um, for this paragraph. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Why would you have to say that again to a persecuted people? You would think persecuted people would be the last ones to, to struggle with pride. Because humility is being forced on them. They're being driven from their homes. They're being treated like they're criminals. It, and he says, no, just because you're going through humbling circumstances doesn't mean you're humble. Humble yourself in your humbling circumstances, he may as well have said. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. It's not just Romans that are doing this. It's not unbelievers that are doing this. They are, but God is in control. There's nothing that's happening in this world that God... And so we resist all these forces. Fight, man. Let's just, you know. And we constantly have this battle mentality against the world. And we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That he may exalt you at the proper time. And then he says, casting all your anxiety upon him. And so he's still in the humility section here of this paragraph. And this is a, a participial phrase that modifies is the humility. So in other words, one of the ways that you humble yourself is to cast your anxiety upon God. And that means anxiety is never a product of humility. Anxiety is a product of pride. Always is. We had a guest lecture that came through his hill recently, and he gave this quote, anxiety is the logical consequence of my choosing to believe that God is going to let me down. That's a pretty good quote. Anxiety is the logical consequence of my choosing to believe that God is going to let me down. Pride. Really, pride. Stinking pride. And I know a lot about anxiety. Even as a little boy, my mother said I was a worrywart. She was herself an expert on it because she had an ulcer when she told me that. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. 
Therefore, and he says it again, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He doesn't say give no thought to tomorrow. He says give no anxious thought to tomorrow. Anxiety is the logical consequence of my choosing to believe that God is going to let me down. Perish the thought. He loves us. He is good. He is absolutely committed to us. He is a good father. Anxiety is an expression of pride. When you feel your heart being controlled by anxiety, the word of God would say to you, humble yourself. See, that's not what I would think to say. <laughs> but that's what God says. I mean, when I, when I see anxiety in someone's heart, my first thought is not humble yourself. But that is what God says. Anxiety is an indication of pride. Humble yourself. You have a heavenly Father who is caring for you and is committed to caring for you. Humble yourself. Because He cares for you. Amen. You know, just when this little incident was going on out here and, and, um, and I looked over at Weston my little grandson, Michael, Brooklyn's boy, and he had some concern on his face. I don't know to call it anxiety, but just concern. He's never seen an ambulance. He didn't know why this lady was lying down like she was. And, and just, just, you can just see what's going on here. And I saw that. And I thought, I need to go explain to him. Everything's okay. She's not badly hurt. We had to call the ambulance because we just wanted to make sure these people are like doctors and they're going to look after her. She's cut her head, but she's going to be okay. And, and so how much more the heart of God who wants our souls to be at peace. He does not want us to live in anxiety and in the grip of fear, but he wants us to be at peace. And so we come to him, as Paul says in Philippians, making every request known and the peace of God, as, we've, as we make every request known with supplication and prayer with thanksgiving, the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's something more going on, though, with anxiety and with the difficulty we have in humbling ourselves and with the rise of pride in our hearts, there's something more than just a fallen sin nature. There is also the proud one, Satan. If Jesus is humility incarnate, Satan is pride incarnate. Not that he ever became flesh. But he, Satan is the embodiment of pride. And he wants us to be proud people. He wants us to never humble ourselves. It makes his teeth grind when he sees people willingly being nothing, emptying ourselves, not exalting ourselves. Satan just goes, no, because he, he is pride personified. 
And he wants us to be proud people. That's why he says, be watchful of the enemy. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, looking, seeking someone to devour. In what way? Apparently in the context, by moving us away from humility, away from dependence, away from humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. It's the temptation of the devil. I said I wasn't going to read anymore, but one more thing. Pride has its root and its strength in terrible spiritual power, outside of us as well as within us. As needful as it is that we confess and deplore it as our very own, is to know it in its satanic origin. If this leads us to utter despair of ever conquering or casting it out, it will lead us all the sooner to that supernatural power in which alone our deliverance is to be found. Because see, if my problem is more than self, because in what is self, I think, well, it's a self problem. Self ought to be able to set me free from self. <laughs> Joke. It's never going to happen. Self can't set its free from, uh, self free from self. But we kind of, in pride, think that we can. And we don't want to recognize that the problem of our soul is sin, and Jesus is the only Savior from sin. Never be another Savior. But when we recognize it's not just self, but there is Satan, the proud one, who is, is subtly moving us toward pride in ways that we haven't even dreamed about. All that touchiness, all that self-defensiveness, all that judgmentalism, irritability, whatever it is, even the, even the pride of thinking you're humble. It's demonic. Satan. And when we recognize that we're, our battle is not just against our flesh, but it's also against Satan, Murray says, good. Because all the sooner you will come to that place of entire dependency. If this leads us to utter despair over ever conquering or casting it, casting it out, it will lead us all the sooner to that supernatural power in which alone our deliverance is to be found, the redemption of the Lamb of God. The hopeless struggle against the workings of self and pride within us may indeed become still more hopeless as we think of the power of darkness behind it. The utter despair will fit us the better for realizing and accepting a power and a life outside of ourselves too. Even the humility of heaven as brought down and brought nigh by the Lamb of God to cast out Satan and his pride. That is good stuff. And once again, when we're caring for people, comforting people, we want to, our, our natural instinctive is to try to get people to think that the problem is not as bad as it is. Right? And here many times God wants us to see not the problem is worse than it is, but we, he wants us to see it as it is. And when we see it as it is, we see it is bigger than anything we can handle. Pride is an enemy that we cannot defeat. Because it's not just an enemy within, it is the enemy of the devil. Anxiety is just one flavor of it. And I need God and His power. And so again, it just it, seeing it for what it is moves us toward availing ourselves of the help that only Jesus can give. The redemption of the Lamb of God. 
So he says three things here about the devil. Be of sober spirit. That means respect him. He is a crafty, dangerous enemy. Be sober. Secondly, be on the alert. He never lets up. And there are so, in, in particular, about the different ways that he tempts us toward pride. I was talking with somebody recently about Russell Kelfer. Some of you knew Russell. Man, I think of Russell as a humble man. And, and one of the series that, that he did in his Sunday school class was on humility. And he told me once, he says, you know, I thought it was going to be, I think he said a two or three Sunday series. It ended up being like 20 or 30 or 40 or something. And, and this man that I was talking with knew him very well. He's on the board now of, of DTM and um, Discipleship Tape Ministries. And he was saying it was something that he recognized that he constantly had to battle. But I know Russell enough well that he was not battling it in his own strength. But he was constantly aware of the tendency toward pride. And as you get older in life, and you're still functioning and producing, and God's doing things, it's pretty easy to think. It has something to do with us. And it doesn't. This is us. (laughs) Empty channels. And anything good that comes out of us is God. We have nothing to boast in. Everything we have, Scripture says, is what we've received. Be on the alert. The devil is constantly wanting us to focus on ourselves, to beat ourselves up, to condemn ourselves, even to exalt ourselves. To take pride in something, to take credit for something, to take offense when we're not recognized. There are a million different ways that pride shows itself. And it is the devil Be on your alert. He never lets up. Why did Solomon, in all of his wisdom, turn his heart away from God? I kind of think it was because of pride. That he thought he was too wise to be deceived. Because he's the wisest man on earth. How can the wisest man on earth be deceived? But he was, and his heart was turned away. Be sober. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion. Now, you've probably heard it, I've heard it, that people have said, well, roaring lions don't eat people. And so this is not saying that he's going to eat you. It's just saying he's, he's scaring you. Don't be scared by the devil. I'm scared by the devil. I think we ought to be scared by the devil. And the last phrase here, seeking someone to devour. So maybe Peter didn't understand well enough about roaring lions. I know nothing about roaring lions. But Peter knew the devil is seeking to devour. John 10 says he comes to, the devil comes to to steal and kill and destroy. That has never changed. And I don't think when I say I'm afraid of the devil, that doesn't mean that I'm thinking about the devil all the time, doesn't mean I'm cowering about the devil, but it does mean I have to recognize this is the supreme creature that God has created. He is million times more powerful, smarter, more powerful than you or I will ever be. More crafty, more cunning. He is not someone to mock. We should respect him, understand his ways, be on the alert 
to what he's trying to do and resist him. And we cannot resist him in our own strength. We resist him, again, by the grace that is supplied in Christ Jesus. Know what his character is. He is not our friend. And when he tempts us toward even the most subtle forms of pride, it is not without its danger. Even the most subtle forms, if they take root, can destroy. And God is wanting humility to flourish in our hearts. Resist him firm in your faith. The only way to resist him is by faith. Not by willpower, by faith. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Now that's interesting. What's one form of pride? Anxiety. Now I think he's getting at another one. It's that subtle temptation to think nobody has it as hard as I do. Right? That's what he's knowing that you're knowing the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. The pride of thinking, oh, woe is me. If you knew how bad I have it, you would show some mercy here. You wouldn't tell me to humble myself. You would say, oh my, I don't know how you can make it. Right? You don't understand how bad I have it. And Peter goes, stop it. You're not experiencing anything different than what people all over the world are experiencing. Your sufferings are not unique. Man. We got a newsletter, Patsy and I did, from some of our missionary friends that are in Pakistan. I'm telling you. I hope I never forget that newsletter. I think I've got it hard. And they were talking about all these people in Pakistan, not just Christians, but, but Hindus and Muslims, all three religions that are represented, but especially Christians in a disproportionate uh, ratio. They will take out a small loan, and then to pay off the loan, commit to making bricks, mud bricks, at a quota of 1,000 a day. And the whole family ultimately ends up getting involved making the bricks the children, and in some cases, even the grandchildren. Small loans of just 10 to $20. And they will spend decades paying off the loans because they can't do the math. They're being charged enormous interest rates by unscrupulous people who are basically just stealing their lives away from them. And I'm thinking, I have it hard. And no matter how old they get, they still have to make 1,000 bricks a day. So that's why, they'll bring it, why they bring in their children to help. Because that thousand bricks have to be made whether you're sick or well, whether you're young or you're old. And so the whole family ends up getting sucked into making bricks. I'd be feeling sorry for myself. I feel sorry for myself when I'm not even going through hard things. And Peter says, don't think you're different. Don't think you're alone. Your brethren in the world are experiencing suffering too. I don't talk a lot. Patsy's always asking me why I'm not talking. And, um, and I don't know what to say. 
And um, <laughs> how could I, you know, that's part of the picture, right? I don't talk a lot. Why aren't you not talking? <laughs> what do you say? But I, I was, we were talking yesterday about why I'm not talking. And, um, and I said, well, I, this is, I'm, I'm, so I am thinking about a lot of things. It's not one of those times where I'm thinking about nothing, which men are uniquely able to do. Um, and I told her, I said, there are so many problems without solutions. There are so many questions without answers. So much conflict without resolution. Now, you think I'm a real philosopher now, but um, those, are, I, those are just things that I'm wrestling with, problems that I don't have the solution to, questions that I don't have the answer to, conflict that I don't know the way out and how resolution is going to happen, and you feel undone. And I told her, I said, our lives have not been hard. We don't have it hard. But it does seem heavy at times. And what does the Lord say? Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn of me. Take my yoke and learn of me, for I am humble and lowly of heart. And, I, and again, it's, it's a humility issue. Is it okay to not have the solution, to not have the answer, to not be able to see the way out of conflict? It is. Because we're this. And we can't stand against the devil we can't even adequately humble ourselves. And God never intended that we be the source for people's solutions, for their answers, even for resolving conflict. We come to Jesus. And these things, the heaviness is meant to bring us to Jesus. He truly is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He says, verse 10, and after you have suffered for a little while. Doesn't seem like a little while, but after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, he keeps coming back to that, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. If he called you to glory, you're going to be in glory. No matter what's happening in this life, he himself who called you and is the source of all grace, will himself. And so will, there's no question, might, no, no, will, absolute. He will, so now he's moving into the hope. So he's gone from, from be humble, be watchful, now be hopeful. God will. Himself, that's the emphatic. He didn't need to say that. That's a redundancy. God, so it's emphasis. God will himself. Perfect you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. No question about it. Why are you anxious? Why are you thinking you have it worse than other people do? Even if you did have it worse than anybody else does, it doesn't change the fact of what God's said and what God's going to do. 
He is the source of all grace. And he himself, every person without exception. No exceptions here. We don't know how long we're going to live. We don't know how hard life's going to be, but this we do know. Every single person that belongs to Jesus, he will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Amen. That's hope to a persecuted people where everything looks like disaster. But God himself, after we have suffered a little while, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish. To him be the dominion forever. Not the Romans. Not, not the Republicans or the Democrats. To him be dominion forever. Amen. What a wonderful section of Scripture. We'll have one more sermon Lord willing, on 1 Peter. But at this point, you can see how he's, he's really, I mean, if, if, if he said nothing else to persecuted people than, these, than this last paragraph, how significant. A persecuted people who are going through great trial need to hear, humble yourself. From anxiety, from thinking that you have it worse than anybody else, humble yourself. A persecuted people, I need to understand, their enemy is not just the people they can look at, but there is an, an angelic, supernatural, spiritual enemy, Satan. Stand firm in your faith. Resist him in your faith. And don't lose hope. No matter how much we're suffering now, God is for us, and he is going to finish the work that he has begun in each one of us. And we will stand before him in glory. And what a great day that's going to be. To him be the dominion forever. Amen. I'll close this in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the grace that you give us in Christ. That you have not left us alone, but you are at work, God, to bring us to that place of entire dependency and nothingness. It's not fun, Lord, to go through. None of us... Um, cherish it, yet it is good. It is the place that you have created us to be as creatures and you being the creator. Entire dependency upon you. Not in the least living from ourselves. And every time the temptation is there to live from experience, God, or from our own talents and abilities that you bestowed on us, Lord, I know that your heart's desire for us, your only way that you have designed for us to live is with open hands lifted up to you as receivers, God, acknowledging that we cannot live apart from what you give us in Christ and that Christ is the one that you have given to indwell us, that we would live from him as we desire Jesus to be seen in all that we are. Thank you, God, that it doesn't depend upon our ability or even our commitment or our effort to be as Jesus is, we could never attain to that. We cannot go up and to, br to bring heaven down, but heaven has come to us, and Christ indwells us, the humble one, that he might be in us all that you intended for humanity to be. To you, God, belongs all the dominion, 
in all the glory. In Christ's name, amen.